Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello and welcome to the program. I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and it's National Poetry Month, and my guest today is Fernando Rover Jr. Hello, Fernando. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear your voice. Welcome to the program. All right. Let's begin, let's begin our journey together. Fernando, what is poetry? Poetry is the architecture of language. It is the way that we tell stories and we invoke emotion through a, a, a intentional selection of words and sounds and metaphors to communicate that emotion forward is what I think poetry is. Oh, very nice. I like that. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? You know, I tend to explore a lot of themes that a lot I find that are necessary but not always welcome. So I tend to explore themes of, um, you know, what it means to be a black man in America, uh, dealing with issues of mental health, dealing with issues of, you know, not feeling like you really fit in anywhere and, you know, trying to reclaim your your space and trying to figure out, you know, how to have, how to navigate that. So through different elements of that and, you know, beyond just that, just I really love to explore themes of, you know, just of, of black issues, you know, anything from, you know, gentrification and displacement to, you know, popular culture stuff and even stuff that goes on in the world today. So a lot of my themes, my themes censure, my themes are always censured on black issues, but I tend to explore different lenses. So again, through black male issues, through larger context, contextual issues in the world, and you know, so on and so forth. All right, very nice. Let's go back for a moment. We kind of talked about what poetry is. You've shared with me your predominant themes. Why do you believe that poetry is important? You know, I believe it's important because I think it's the voice of the unheard. Um, you know, you wow. look at every historical era. I'm, I'm big on history. And you look on, you look at everything, every history, uh, every historical epic from, you know, the Harlem Renaissance to the Black Power Movement, Civil Rights Movement, Black Arts Movement, you know, and poetry was at the forefront. You know, you had poets like Langston Hughes, you had poets like Audre Lorde, and, you know, even poets like Maya Angelou, and, you know, even writers who did poetry as well as other other genres like, you know, Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and June Jordan. And, you know, you you see that these poets were, their their stories and their work was really showcasing what our struggle was during that time. And, you know, we tend to, it's funny, you know, we tend to live in a world where it's like, you know, people want to know, well, what goes on in, in this person's life or what goes on in that person's life or what goes on in this 
minority group's life. And, you know, no matter how many times we share our stories or share our experiences, you know, it always seems like it's never taken seriously or overlooked. But art, especially poetry, has a funny way of, you know, getting to a place where perhaps regular speech or regular conversation can't. So that's why I feel like it's important because I think it's a voice. I think it's the voice of the unheard, and I think it's the true channel through which uh, change is communicated. All right, eloquently stated. Please share a poem with us. Sure. So this poem I'm going to read is titled "Witness." <clears throat> we are landscapes and coliseums of indigenous blackness. Vessels that bring forth groundedness to illuminate a path to promise. We are descendants of skilled laborers, sharecroppers, orators, trail riders, and trailblazers, bridges of hopes and dreams that reside in the street of a king. We are Apache football games at Copernicus Park, Sunday services at Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. We are the inhabitants of forsaken landmarks, whose namesakes are heroes banished to the margins of history. Sam Houston Gates. Ella Austin, Eugene Coleman, Robert Dawson, Charles Bellinger. We are museums and galleries that represent a common ground, art that embodies places, spaces, and sacred spaces that preserve our archival souls. We are casualties of bloodshed and communities in crisis, train tracks that create lines between growth and sustainability between us and them. We are pavements personifying rhythms of resistance rhythms of resilience, marching for our lives, redemptive vagrants redefining the color of law. We are villages of mothers and villages of martyrs. We think we are, we recreate. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful poem. As you think about, again, the poem Witness, what is the purpose of it, of that particular piece? So the purpose of witness is it is so anyone who so I'm from San Antonio, born and raised, and you know one of the things that has been like a running theme in my life and anyone that lives here is that there is black history here, but it's not something that's always in the textbooks. So you know when I say okay. you know namesakes and heroes banished to the margins of history. You know, there are people who buildings are named after in the city that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know unless, you know, somebody asked you or, 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 unless, somebody, or unless you asked somebody. Like, you're not going to go into, like, a textbook in, a, in an elementary school and find, you know, information on Simerson Gates, Ella Austin, or Charles Bellinger, although they are very uh, crucial and important to San Antonio African-American uh, history. And so, you know, yes. witness – in the, in the definition sense, a witness is someone who sees something. You know, we always, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about the role of a witness, we think about what their role is as it pertains to, you know, the defendant or the plaintiff, like, you know, how it, how it pertains to their understanding and their space. We never really think about what that witness is. That witness is just kind of like there. That's why that witness can be, unidentified or doesn't have a name or doesn't have, a, uh, you know, an identity. And so, you know, for me, when I think of a witness, I think of something that's there that doesn't always get their due diligence, but is still playing a role 
in that in that equation, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. Very nice. How does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? I would say an idea. Um, Tell me I, more. Tell me more. I would say an idea. You know, for me, I enjoy, like, thinking. I enjoy thinking out loud. I enjoy people watching. And so, you know, an idea. whenever I think of an idea, you know, I always try to think, well, how can I turn this into a poem? And it usually starts with, a word that I see, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of words. Like I literally have in my phone, um, a note. Like I, I take when, whenever I see a word that I like, I literally, uh, put a memo in my phone and I have like, a list of vocabulary words that I use that I, that I intend to use wow. like, you know, poem or, you know, things like that. And so a lot of times the idea will come from like a word that I see or, you know, or like a memory that, you know, I came across or, or something that I came across, whether it's in a book or it's in a newspaper. And then from there, it's just like a matter of tracing the language to so trying to figure out, okay, where, where in the poem am I? Am I in the middle of the poem? Am I in the beginning of the mm-hmm. poem? Or am I at the end of the poem? And if I'm in the middle of the poem, okay, where's the, where does the poem begin? You know, where, what's the first image that leads us to this image that I'm seeing right now? If I'm at the end mm-hmm. of the poem, you know, how do I trace back? So it, it's just, you know, when I have an idea or when I have an image, it's just trying to figure out where in the poem am I at and then going from there. All right, I like that. You know, Fernando, all great writers have great writing influences who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Oh, my my great influences are Toni Morrison, because her stories and her narratives are just timeless. Um, she knows how to invoke emotion and her characters. You remember her characters. You remember her characters. You remember her her themes. Like she she is one of the best writers of our of the last uh, last 50 years. Um, and as far as, like, poetry, you know, I do enjoy Maya Angelou. I do enjoy Langston Hughes. I do enjoy Audre Lorde. The reason why I do that is because they, what I do love about them in particular is that they, you know, they, every, every writer has a story to tell, you know, beyond yes. just what's on paper, but, like, their own story, you know, and, you know, Langston Hughes, Audre Lorde, Maya Angelou, they're not strangers to pain. They're not strangers to mm-hmm. alienation or not, but not belonging. And so through their work, you know, I was able <clears throat> to find solace and find connection and, you know, even find a sense of what my voice will be, you know, because I think in the beginning, every writer is like, well, I want to be like this person. I want to be, I want to sound like them. I want to sound like that, you know? And I remember I had a professor in college that said, it's great that you want to sound like Tony Morrison, but you're not Tony Morrison. <laughs> you know, you oh, have to wow. find your own voice. And, <laughs> yes. and she was right. She was right, you know? And mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. for me is how, um, that for me is how I started like, okay, thinking about, okay, who is Fernando Rover Jr.? You know, what are, the themes or the ideas that he, that he, like, what are my stories? What are my experiences? Why are they important? Why should someone care to hear about my experiences? And then that's pretty much how it starts. 
Mm. Wow. Who is Fernando Rover Jr.? That's a great question. What does he stand for? What does he believe? I like that. You know, you made the statement that poets, some of these poets, are not being stranger are not being strangers to pain. I like that so much because I wonder sometimes, can a poem hurt you? What do you think about that? I don't know if a, I don't think a poem can hurt you, but I think a poem can heal you. I think a poem right. can make make you feel like your experience was valid, make you feel like mm-hmm. your perspective is true and is real, um, and mm-hmm. makes and makes you feel like it makes you feel like you're being seen. I think that's why it's All important. Right. You know, you think of case in point. You think of Audre Lord. Audre Lord, you know, her her well known work is Sister Outsider. You know, she was a African-American, you know, lesbian poet at a time yes. where they're ostracized, you know, to be at the, what, what, what Francis Bean calls the epicenter of double jeopardy, being black and female, you throw sexuality in there and it's like another, just another cross, crossroads. And so, you know, for her, you know, she represents so many voices of women of color who are in the LGBT community that are on the outside parameters, you know, and mm-hmm. she kind of helps highlight the hypocrisy that really exists within the black community, within the gay community, and even with the larger American community. And sometimes you yes. need to highlight that hypocrisy in order to forward and also be authentic. Yes, I like that. Please share another poem. Absolutely. So this one is called Third Space. It is the architecture of language, the creation of worlds by storytelling with intention. It is the installation of truth, the transcending through faculties of contrived social norms. It is the expression of abstract conception the reclamation and restoration of our traditions and encounters. It is the sustainability of an encompassing canon, the dismantling of establishments aimed at destruction and displacement. It is the collaging of intimidations and idiosyncrasies, the strong sense of space and time. It is appropriation absent of exploitation the conservation and preservation of justice, politics of beauty, the empiricism of intuition. It is the composite of cognition, the rehabilitation of confirmation bias. It is the avant-garde of the collective mind, the environmental impact of commerce. It is the curation and cultivation of sight, the institution of autonomy. Thank you. You know, that's the kind of poem you need to allow to just soak in. Thank you. <laughs> I, oh, wow. Let's go back in time, if you don't mind. Sure. What was an, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? An early experience. Hmm. I think it was. I think 
I think it was when I was 17. I was 17 years old, and I had read the book um, for Color Girls. I, well, I'd seen the movie, and I was, of course, I, I wanted to buy the book, so I got the book, and I enjoyed just reading it, and I loved how it was. I loved the formatting of it. You know, it was it was a play that was that used poetry as a dialogue, and I thought that was so unique and so like creative, you know, because it, it was it was very out of the box and very different. And again, I realized that poetic language had power because when you read when you read you know, the book and then, you, and then you hear it being performed, you know, you, again, you mentioned like the question about, you know, does a poem hurt you? And I said, heal you. That is a prime mm-hmm. example of how poetry can be healing because a lot of those experiences that the author puts in are experiences that black women deal with. And so to see yes. that on a platform gave a lot of women who maybe didn't have the strength or didn't have the, or didn't have the, the, yeah, the strength to really to really reveal their own experiences. They saw their experiences played out in a place where it was seen and felt, and so they they felt seen. Um, that's when I realized that oh, you know, poetry does have a language. Poetic language does have power because, in a way, it communicates strength and emotion in a way that regular dialogue or regular conversation can't always do. Mm-hmm. Now, do you come from a literary background yourself? As in, as in my family? Yes. No, actually, I don't. I mean, I I have writers in my family. Like, I uh, I found out like recently that I had you know writers in my like like in my in my in my ancestry. But as far as like my as far as like my immediate family, yeah, both my parents, um, they're not writers per se, but they are they love culture, you know, and so they mm-hmm. and I think through exposing me was a way for them to also um appreciate culture as well. So even though they can't necessarily write or they're not artistically gifted, you know, they still can appreciate and can understand. And I think through me they have a, a way they have a way of of getting, of getting to know and, and appreciating that. All right. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Fernando Rover Jr. Fernando, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? All right. I am. All right. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? 
when you write one? Letting your guard down. Um, Tell me more. Poetry is very, poetry is very vulnerable, very vulnerable, very revealing, and especially if you are a performance poet, you know, you, it's just you up there, you know, on stage with a mic, and you're telling the story as it come, as it as it as it as you wrote it, and you're revealing parts of yourself that you probably wouldn't necessarily want others to see, or maybe you'd, you'd be afraid of that. Um, so I think that poetry is definitely letting your guard down because it's revealing emotion. It's revealing emotion, and you know, emotions not always uh, it's not always received well, especially in our culture and society. So true. I agree with that. It which brings up another question. You talked about emotion. Do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? You know, that's a good question. I think that I think if they have a narrative and if they have a story mm-hmm. to tell, then yes, they can be a poet. I do believe that. You know, if they have if they have a way if they have something that's in them waiting to be told and you know, it's something that again, metaphorically and lang- and language-wise, it's something that is being intricately designed, then yes. I do think they can be a poet. Please share another poem. All right, absolutely. So this poem actually is entitled Possession. To feel is to escape. To escape is to feel. To eject oneself and occupy another is to leave this world behind and exist in another. To have a pulse is to be paralyzed, leaving no choice but to surrender. See through their eyes, feel through their hands, live in their skin, covet and consume their power, inhibit their soul. Draining through a desire and decay, derived from desperation. To feel is to escape. To escape is to feel. Thank you. Wow. You've got a new book out. Maverick. Tell us about Maverick. So Maverick, if you look up the definition term of Maverick, it literally says a Maverick is a nonconformist, someone who is someone who enjoys being outside the box, who goes against the grain. And for me, that's exactly what um, a lot of the themes are going against the grain. Um, Mm. There's two central themes that Maverick tackles, and that is uh, language as architecture and political as, or personal as political. And the reason why those are two themes is because one of the, one of the primary uh, lenses that I tackle using poetry and photography is I look at the, the effects of gentrification on the San Antonio, on, on the east side of San Antonio. Um, the reason being is because, again, if you're from San Antonio, the east side is where 
predominantly a lot of the historic, the black history comes from and a lot of the, a lot of, you know, community people. And for me personally, you know, my, my mom's family is from the East side. So I, I grew up, even though I didn't grow up on this side of town, I visited very often and I really, it kind of became a second home for me. My grandparents still live there to this day. And I began noticing, you know, as I got older and I learned about, you know, social social consciousness and, and bias and, you know, environmental justice and things like that. I learned about, you know, gentrification and housing crises and, and mm-hmm. you know, you, a lot of, you know, scholars use places like D.C., you know, Chicago, you know, predominantly African-American spaces. And then I realized that, well, a lot of that happens here too, you know, and here in San Antonio in particular, gentrification is a huge um, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge topic, you know, um, it's like, a, like, you know, the housing crisis is, is huge and the po- our population is growing and, you know, it, it's kind of like a, it's, you either, you have a love-hate relationship with it because we want progress. We want, mm-hmm. you know, things to grow and things to develop and things to get better, um, but of the people who have lived here since the beginning and are being pushed out of their homes because they don't fit the mainstream image of what San Antonio is trying to portray. And for me, one of the things that I noticed was that I just kept, I just kept having this feeling inside of me, like this needs to be said, but like, you know, I know that it's going to be met with resistance. Because nobody, because you know, nobody wants nobody wants to be you know the enemy or nobody wants to be the bad guy. But sometimes you have to put yourself as a martyr if, mm-hmm. if it means true social change will be accomplished. And that's what a maverick is. A maverick is someone who is willing to put themselves on the line for a, a bit a greater cause. And that's what a poet is to me. A, a poet is that. And artists is that. And so that is why, you know, the two central themes are, you know, language as architecture. So using language to understand and tell the story of these buildings that have been torn down or of these houses that have been torn down or these, these buildings that have been abandoned and what they still and what energy they still hold, you know, what memory okay. they still hold. Okay. Um, there's a, go ahead, just go ahead. No, I was just going to share that I was fascinated by the theme of language as architecture, and I wanted you to share more about it, which you did. So that's fantastic. It helps me understand what that means in totality. So I like that. Definitely. All right. Please. (laughs) You're a fascinating man, Fernando. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> and the topics that you're covering, the themes that you're covering are so important, so important to talk about. As we think about politics, as we think about gentrification, as we think about you name it. So it brings up this question. What is the role of a poet in modern day society? A poet is an artistic activist, someone who mm-hmm. uses art. Someone who uses art to, to push change forward. 
Nia Simone once said, it is the job of an artist to represent the times in which they live, you know, and again, poets, you know, we have, we have the ability to use our voice, you know, to use our voice and to speak of experiences that are not always given a spotlight or not given a platform. So a poet is someone that is willing to use their voice to give a voice to the voiceless. Well, let me ask this question with that in mind. Sometimes an individual can feel so stifled, so beaten down, that they don't know how to use their voice. They don't know how to lift it. Any recommendations? How do you do that? How do you, how do you use your voice when you feel like you're at the end of your rope? Well, go, I, I think this is, it's going to sound weird, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it. You oh, go please. outside your, you go outside yourself. Um, All right. What I mean by that is you don't necessarily have to use your voice in the literal sense of like speaking out or performing, you know, um, because I believe that poetry can exist without necessarily being a performer. You know, you can be a poet mm-hmm. and not be a performer. You know, you can right. invoke poetry through various forms of art. And, you know, one of the things that I found um, fun or interesting about with, with Maverick is that it, it forced me to, to look beyond the, the vocal or the, the, the performance aspect of poetry. You know, I wanted to mm-hmm. really cast, really, really go into the space of storytelling. And so my advice would be, you know, what do you feel? Not what you want to mm. say, but what do you, what do right. you feel? And then start there. All right. You know, in terms of Maverick, I liked your answer. In terms of Maverick, if you had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, what might you tell them? I would tell them if you want to know about true San Antonio black history, you'll read Maverick. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, the cover of the book is is quite striking. What was the process for coming up with the cover? It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, my mom said the exact same thing when she saw it. Um, <laughs> you know, the process of it is, so it started off as I, I wanted something. I mean, a cover, a cover of a, a cover of the cover of the book is important, right? It, it's, it's supposed mm-hmm. to grab the reader's attention. It's supposed to grab people's attention. Like, you know, it's very important. And I, and I, and I knew that. And I wanted to try something. I wanted to with different image with different images. And so, you know, one of my favorite um, films actually is called American Beauty, and um, it's like this this satirical comedy film that came out in the late '90s. And the cover of the the poster of it is exactly what you see. It's the uh, it's the like the the stomach, and then like there's like a a hand holding a flower, and I always thought that was very interesting because I thought it was very vulnerable. I thought I thought it was very you know raw and very you know I love raw imagery, obviously, right? Oh, I'm right. a I'm a I'm a poet, right? So right. <laughs> for me, for me, I wanted to to 
try something where I wanted it to be raw and very vulnerable. And the reason why I, if you you look at it, there's the body and then there's the sunflowers. So the sunflowers are there because a lot of the topics in there pertain to like mental health and anxiety and depression and their experiences that I actually went through when I was, when I was writing the book and a sunflower actually is a symbol of like hope and resilience. You know, right now, you know, of course, during the war in Ukraine, it's become a huge symbol mm-hmm. for that. Um, yes. So that's, so that's the point. That's the, the role of the sunflowers. And then the words that are, that are printed across the image are actual neighborhoods that are in San Antonio mm. that, are, oh, wow. that have been torn down. Yeah, that have been torn down, that have been, you know, it's funny. They've been torn down and they've been gone for years, but people still remember them. People still talk about them. People still refer to them in, in, in common conversation. And so it goes back to this notion of you can tear down a building or you can abandon it, but the energy, the inhabitants, the memories, all that is still there and, and will be there forever. And so that's really what I was trying to portray with, with the um, cover is just really emotional, emotional vulnerability and artistic, artistic, artistic vulnerability, basically, is what, is what I wanted right. to show. Yeah. Artistic vulnerability. Wow. Please share another poem. All right. So this poem is called Black Plague. cultural virus, a symptomatic, a symbiotic appropriation, one at the hands of the other. Racism, declared a public health crisis, melanin and medicine, a weapon of mass destruction. Political corruption breeds social eruption, an obstruction of justice against you, me, we, the people. Health disparity leaves no room for clarity. Statistics build on duplicitous and implicit bias has unleashed riots. Riots, the language of the defiance, those who have been silenced. Silenced by this cultural virus. Communities in crisis. We are the righteous. We will fight this. Statistics built on duplicitous, inconsistent, insufficient, inefficient, immunodeficient racism. Cultural virus. It's symptomatic a symbiotic appropriation of one at the hands of the other. Thank you. You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it in terms of editing? Oh, I agree. I agree. Editing editing is very... It's a necessary evil. <laughs> I will say that. All right. Because, you, know, <laughs> you, you know, you, because it is, because, you know, you, <laughs> you want it to, to, you want it to, to maintain its essence of like how it came out, how, how it was born. But then you also have to, but then, you know, if you're like me, you know, I write very fast and I, I write right. very fast. And so, so sometimes like, I'll misspell a word on accident, and I and I don't realize it until I go back and like read it before I I publish it. 
And so, mm-hmm. again, it is necessary because it, it, it helps you catch some of the mistakes that you missed during the, during the, the early phase. But I think it also, it also makes it better and it makes it, it makes it more, it makes it more, I don't want to say livable, but it makes it a more living, more ex- exciting piece of work, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you, Fernando? What are you giving us? Well, I'm giving you a sense of hope, a sense of imagination. Mm-hmm. a sense of understanding of experiences that you probably maybe have never thought about or never realized or maybe even overlooked. So I think that's what I, I like to give the world through my art. Through your art. Wow. Mm. Please share another poll. All right. So this next poem I'm going to read is called, it is called Wilted. Sometimes the relationships we don't protect becomes the ones we then neglect. Like planted yellow roses, chrysanthemums, jade, and lotus flowers that have wilted. Like a topaz bracelet with a broken clasp and a tarnished ring. Sometimes the relationships we don't protect become the ones we then regret. Turtle doves taking flight, but in different directions, fighting the hands of fate and the unstoppable hands of time. Lonely as a road trip down a dead-end street, close as the black and white keys of an untuned piano, distant as the broken chords that used to make up our favorite song. Sometimes the relationships we don't protect become the ones we then forget. Good ones are hard to find as we navigate the passing of time. Like newborn babies maturing before our very eyes. Grief can take on many different forms, like a willow tree bending towards a quiet storm. Sometimes the relationships we don't protect become the ones we then neglect, we then regret, and soon forget. Thank you. Wow. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? I do. I do think I was because I didn't choose it. It took right. me. Tell me more. Tell me more. You just can't say that I, without breaking it down. For I me. think, yeah, I think because, again, I didn't choose poetry. It chose me. Like, I had no real interest in it. Like, as a, like I didn't, like, go to school go to college to be a poet. I went to school right. to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer. Yes. I wanted to explore different genres. And, you know, I, I, rem- I remember graduating from college and getting, getting the chance to travel abroad. And when I came back from, I went to Scotland for about two weeks on a class trip and I came back and I just had, I was, it was like I was reborn creatively. 
you know, I, mm. I, I started writing on a much higher level than I had before. And my, my thoughts and my imagination was much more heightened. And one of the things that I kept noticing was that ideas or stories was coming to me in a poetic voice. Lots of metaphors, right. lots of similes, mm-hmm. lots of visual imagery. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm not a poet. <laughs> you know, I'm not a poet. <laughs> I, I, like, I like writing, like, long, like, like you know, novels and, and, and short stories. Like, you know, I'm not really into poetry. Like, that's not what I really – that's not what I, 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 I read or did a lot in, in, in my life. But it was something that I had to surrender to, and I had to invite myself to be a witness to. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I said I think I was meant to be because it wasn't something that I did on my own. It was something that came to me. So it was like it was like a it was like a destiny that was put in place before I was even before I even knew it was that, or it would or even belonged to me. And it was something that I had to surrender to. Well, what surprises you most about being a poet? What surprises me the most about being a poet is that I actually enjoy, I enjoy my own poetry and I enjoy my own poetry and I sometimes love to over explain my work because not everybody, gets poetry, right? not everybody, not everybody gets poetry and everybody, you know, understands it. But I personally enjoy, you know, explain, ex- explaining why I chose like certain metaphors or explain why my format, the way it is. Like my, for example, my mom, for example, my mom, you know, she would ask, she asked me all the time, like, you know, um, you know, you, you write, uh, you write very, you write about some very interesting topics and, you know, you're very much like your, your, your style is very advanced and very intricate, you know? Um, yes. You know, is there a way, you know, do you ever think about making it simple? Do you ever making, ever making think about making, ever think about making it, you know, easy to read or, you know, and mm-hmm. I told her, not really, because that's how it came out. That's how the story came out. Mm. The poem came out. And, you know, for me, I enjoy the conversation of explaining, you know, what I meant by this. And I realize it's not something that is very common. It's, it's a gift. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's a pleasure because, you know, we can't, like, like I said, I can't ask Maya Angelou, you know, why she chose her, that metaphor. I can't ask like some Hughes or, you know, I can't ask Audrey Lord. You know what I mean? Like, you can't always ask the, the author or the writer, you know, why they chose what they chose. And some, and in actuality, they may not have, they may not have even known at the time why they chose it. It just felt mm. right. It just felt natural. So what I enjoy, what surprised, what I, what surprises me about what I enjoy about being a poet is that, you know, even though it's something that's not popular necessarily or easily received. I enjoy that. I enjoy the challenge of doing it. If I can, if I can, if I can change someone's mind about poetry or if I can make them look at it in a different way, then that's, that to me is is a real uh, reward. Now, some believe that accessibility is extremely important. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. 
it is important to an extent, to an extent. Okay. Um, Tell me I, more. I am, some, I am someone that <laughs> I am acceptable through my work, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much how I like to how I like to be. You know, one of my favorite one of my favorite artists, um, musicians that I always admired is um, all right. And if and if you're if again if if you follow Sade's career over the last thirty plus years, she's notorious for being reclusive. You know, she she comes back, she leaves, she comes back, she leaves, she comes back. But it's that. But her music is so it's it's so powerful that you don't like you know even though she comes even though she goes away she keeps you she keeps you engaged whilst while while she's away and i remember uh seeing a, a small interview it's, it's really rare to find an interview a full interview from sade she's very she doesn't doesn't do a lot of interviews and i remember the one clip i found she was saying that you know it's important to allow yourself to be reclusive because you don't want to give too much of yourself away and you want to save the essence of yourself to put into your work and then make yourself accessible through your work. Okay. I do believe that, you know, being accessible is important, but I also think that if you're too accessible, sometimes you do, like I said, you, you kind of leave yourself wide open and you sometimes give yourself away and not in, and you feel empty sometimes. Mm. Well, you know, there is no ordinary love. Now, where did I get that from? <laughs> so that, <laughs> there is no love. See, I, I'm cooler than you think. <laughs> and we always, Let's take a brief break. We always cherish the day for love is stronger than yeah. <laughs> Let's take a brief break. We'll be right back. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. <laughs> back. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Fernando Rover Jr. Question for you, my friend. Yes, sir. Lay on me. Are you ready? Here we go. Do the internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? Yes, absolutely. Tell me. Um, (laughs) You You know, we're living in a very unique time. Right. Um, yes. We're living in a time where, you know, we can access information so much quickly than ever before. You know, we can engage with people 
that don't even live in the same city as us and still accomplish something. You know, one of the things mm-hmm. that I did, um, like many of us probably did during the pandemic, is when open mics became virtual, I started venturing outside of San Antonio, outside of Texas, and I wanted to meet other other writers. Other, and I did. I ended up I ended up meeting poets in D.C. I ended up meeting poets in Boston, Chicago, and even abroad, like from England and and Egypt and and, and Spain and India, you know, and. What I liked about that opportunity, you know, even though it, it, it happened because of a global pandemic, of a global virus, unfortunately, that made us have to be stationary for almost two years. And, mm-hmm. But the silver lining of that was I was able to meet and find a community of people that understood my creative, my creativity and my storytelling because they, too, felt the same way. And, you know, in the earlier days before the pandemic, I mean, you really, you mean, not, not to say that you couldn't travel and you couldn't, you know, go everywhere. You could, but there was something very simple about, you know, getting online and you know, going on a Zoom call and being able to speak and, and, and engage with, 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 with people from different walks of life that also enjoyed the same thing you did, and that was poetry. Um, I definitely think mm-hmm. that we are entering a new frontier because, you know, now we're in the, the era of what's called insta-poetry where you have yes. poets who, where, where you have poets who maybe aren't published poets, but just they want to share their poetry online just to get feedback or just to get their work out there. You know, um, the famous author, Rupi Carr, you know, she got her start through Insta Poetry. Mm-hmm. Now she's a New York Times bestselling author, you know, yes. and she does poetry for it now, you know, so I definitely think that the internet, social media, technology has definitely helped transcend and enhance uh, how poetry can be perceived, received, and to spread its influence further. All right. All right. Please share a poem. Okay, so this poem is called Compass. Nietzsche eyes through rose-colored glasses, staring the road less traveled. What new adventures will I meet today? What new failures will I be reintroduced to today? Training wheels laced to soles of my shoes, Shells and rocks no longer hang on. Nothing but dreams and fears in my pocket. Hell hath no better currency. Ain't got much, but I got tonight. My heart is the compass. My soul is the rose. Instinct then made a friendly wager with reason. Call this gun and jump this bluff. Grew my courage on the trunks of a familial tree. Like fresh fruit in spring, I picked my poison. Took a chance and decided it was time to plant my own mistakes and watch them grow. The sand does one good lap through the glass before it gets near the finish line. Night doesn't think twice before it becomes day. Faith and courage are two halves of a brave heart. Starting over doesn't mean the journey's ending. It's just the beginning. 
Thank you. Wow. You're on a roll. Please share another. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So this one is called Swan Song. They say a life well lived is a life well spent. I don't desire to be a bust sculpted for all to admire. Mining for gold is not bringing riches, only a facade of worth. I bid farewell to images and ideas of the old world in hopes of discovering a new world where riches exist beyond probability. I fashion myself a new life where a continuum is an evergreen. Thank you. You know, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because stay silent is not an option. Why do you write, Fernando? Because I can't, I can't be quiet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, can't be, I can't be quiet. Um, I, I, I'm quiet, but I'm not quiet, if that makes sense. Like, like I can't talk. Right. Like, like, I can talk, right? We all can talk. Right? Okay. But I, I, prefer, I prefer to write because I don't like I'm – very, I'm very introverted, very introverted, very introverted. Like, I, I, I jokingly state to my friends that – the pandemic turned me into a agoraphobe because <laughs> like most people were like going crazy at home. Like my, I had friends and family who were like, I'm bored. I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. Da, da, da. Meanwhile, I'm like reading books. I'm writing. Like I'm enjoying my time. Like I enjoyed being in the pandemic. So, um, and, and for me, it's like, you know, even though I don't like having conversations, I mean, I can, right. But I don't like mm-hmm. to, um, my writing is my way of doing that. My writing is my way of communicating, my way of, you know, saying something that my voice or my own self can't always say, you know. Um, and so I think that it's, it's like a happy balance for me. I write to understand, not to be understood. Um, and I think that it's a good balance for me because when I don't feel like saying something, or I don't feel like talking about myself, you know, in a, in a vocal sense, like in an actual literal sense. If you read my books, you learn, you learn all about me. You learn, if you read my poems, you learn about me. You learn about my experiences. You learn about places I've been, places I've seen, places I want to go, you know, and that tells Mm -hmm. you more than anything I can even say out loud. So, yeah, I don't like being quiet either. (laughs) I I, I love being quiet, but my mind is very loud. If you were a poet during a different era, when, where would you want to exist? Ooh, I love that question. <laughs> I would have loved to be a poet during the Black Arts Movement. I'd love mm. to have met, like, James Baldwin. I'd love to have met... You know, Essex Hemphill, whose who's birthday is today, by the way. Oh, um, wow. Very nice. Yeah. I would love to meet those two. Those two men of color who were poets, who were unapologetic, who were loud, and who were activists, and who, who just knew who they were and didn't care what anybody else thought. I would have loved to have met them and loved to have just been in their presence. 
Um, and also, again, Toni Morrison and Judy Jordan and, you know, um, all the writers, of the, all the writers, and even Amir Baraka, you know, other artists and other, you know, mediums who, who did other things, you know, even, mm-hmm. even filmmakers, you know, and, 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 other, and other writers and things like that. So, yeah, I would, I would, I would love to have been with Black Arts with them. All right. Please share a poem. All right. Next, this, this poem is called Gaslight. Like a mirror, cannot be fixed once broken. Ten years shattered makes me wish I'd known then. What, I, what had always been there burned in the back of my mind. It just seemed too good to be true, and that was by design. Loyalty has one face. Deception has two. You're not the person I once knew. A knife to my back, right through my heart. Anger is a flame. Bewilderment is a spark. Blinded by white lies, lover in disguise, the karma has a clear view. Just wait, you'll get yours too. Bridges have burned. Lessons have been learned. Without any concern, leaving no room to discern. Gone and never to return. Thank you. Wow. You know, we're almost at the end of our journey, our time together. We have time for one more poem. Please favor us again. Absolutely. This poem is called Forget Me Not. Do you ever think of me as much as I think of you? Do I ever cross your mind as much as you come across mine too? I'd be lying to myself if I said I didn't think of you every now and then. When everyone else asks, when I saw you last, I find it easier just to say, I don't know when. Do you try to forget me as much as I try to forget you? Is it easier to make an excuse like you have, like you have something to prove? I avoid familiar faces and favorite places to force myself to move on. I even drive around with the music off to avoid playing our favorite song. Mm. I can't remember to forget you, no matter how hard I try. Do you remember to forget me, even though you got the type? Do you ever think of me? Thank you. Mm. Very powerful piece. Where can listeners find your work, my friend? Where can they find your work? So all of so Maverick is available now on Amazon. So you can purchase it. You can buy it online. Um, you can reach out to me on, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fernando Rover Jr. And if you want an autographed copy, you can send me an, a, a DM through, through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and I'll get your address, and I'll sign it for you, and then I'll send it out. But – Anyone else, yeah, any, any, for certain, you can get the book on Amazon, and it's called Maverick. All right, very nice. What's next for you creatively, Fernando? Always, I, I, I want to keep challenging myself creatively. I want to try different things. Um, I want to keep writing. 
that's a, a certain thing. But I want to try, I want to dive deeper into different art forms like photography and, you know, printmaking would be great to do. Um, I love music. Um, I used to, I actually was in choir when I was in um, college and high school. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, but I love instruments too. So I, I, I told myself that I want to pick up the guitar again. I, I took a guitar class once when I was younger and then that was it. I never, I never did it again. Um, but I want to try it again now because the interest is still there. So, you know, definitely just want to keep challenging myself and, and definitely ex- express myself through different creative outlets. Mm. You know, I view you as being a renaissance man. And I believe that your future is going to be exceptionally bright in this profession. We're going to hear your name, Fernando. We're going to hear your name thank you. in great places. I believe it 100%. So I'd like to thank you for taking time out to be with us today. I thoroughly enjoyed this hour, <laughs> especially the Chardet reference. I thoroughly enjoyed this hour. <laughs> I'll never forget that one. <laughs> well, great. So I wish you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cherish today. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you. I want to thank our listening audience as well. And as I share every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care, everybody. Until next time, I'm Michael Anthony Ingram. All right. Goodbye. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.